0: Welcome to another episode of PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Sobolewski. And today, this episode is all about constipation, the diagnosis and management in the Pediatric Emergency Department. I had the pleasure of interviewing Danny Mallon, a gastroenterologist at Cincinnati Children's, and we talked about how to make the diagnosis, the right way to do a clean out, why x-rays aren't all that helpful, and much more. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure, I'm one of the pediatric gastroenterologists here at Cincinnati Children's and constipation comprises about 15 to 25% of my uh, visits overall. We manage an inpatient and outpatient, so I see my fair share of patients with pooping problems. And I've been here at Cincinnati Children's for about 5 years and I trained at Boston Children's for a fellowship where I did some quality improvement research trying to improve the management of pediatric constipation in the primary care setting uh, where I got uh, really in depth into the evidence base uh, as well as real world m- management both in the primary care setting as well as the ED
0: so it goes without saying that a lot of children come to the emergency department with belly pain as their chief complaint you know when should we suspect that constipation is the cause you know how do we make that diagnosis
1: the most important thing is in the history and in the history the most important thing is the specifics So I really caution people about asking generalized questions, or even asking a family or parent to make a determination about whether constipation is present. So I urge anybody who will listen, all my trainees, to ask very specific questions about how often the child is pooping, the consistency of what the poop looks like, some proxy information is to compare it to food items like melted ice cream or
0: Delicious, yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it becomes kind of fun. I've ruined a chocolate <laughs> ice cream for several families. The other thing is to ask some other questions about and to give a little bit of time for the child to actually open up and answer the question. We ask about whether there's blood present in the stools. We ask whether or not they clog the toilet, uh, which are signs for uh, large caliber stools, uh, which gives you some information about chronicity. We ask about painful pooping or difficulty and straining with pooping. So it's really those specifics that make the biggest difference.
0: Right. And as a parent myself, it's, you know, we obviously don't keep track of how often our children poop. And how do you get that information out of parents, you know, finding out how frequently their children go to the bathroom?
1: So I will ask a general question just to kind of gauge whether or not they have a sense of it. But then I also ask very specifically when the last time a parent has actually seen one of their children's poops. And if they don't have a really great answer to that, then that opens the conversation up to maybe there's more to this story uh, that the child's not being very forthcoming about or the family doesn't have a great uh, bead on how often the patient's going. Got it.
0: So most often, we can establish a diagnosis of constipation based on our history and physical exam alone. Are there any red flags that we should look out that would clue us into the fact that this is not constipation and uh, something more dangerous?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Things that are in the history going back a few weeks to months would be very uh, important to identify some more organic causes of pain and inflammation and things like that. So that would be vomiting, weight loss, blood marbled throughout stools, and things where the pain seems to be more than you'd expect or out of proportion to the degree of constipation that you think that is going on.
0: And are there any medical conditions or chronic problems that should make us leery of just making a blanket diagnosis of functional constipation?
1: Absolutely. So Anytime someone is having vomiting, anytime somebody uh, has neurologic cognitive impairments where they can't give you a great history about what's going on, I worry about things like the rare sigmoid volvulus. I worry about uh, this presentation of inflammatory bowel disease because they hate anything passing through an inflamed bottom. And so I, I keep an eye out for those kinds of more chronic symptoms and other underlying comorbidities. Yeah,
0: Checking that medical and surgical history to see if they've had their belly operated on in the past is a, a big clue that I've learned to look out for as well. All right, so the patient is constipated. How do we treat it, both in the ED and at home?
1: It's a pretty simple paradigm. If there's accumulated poop, Before you get going on any sort of chronic therapy, you have to get the accumulated poop out. So we call it different names, whether it's a cleanse or a clean out or a disimpaction. Uh, The first thing is to get the accumulated stool out so that the more day-to-day regimen to keep the poop flowing uh, can be successful.
0: Right. So if you have a kid that's really backed up, what are some ways that we can get the poop moving in the emergency department?
1: So in the emergency department, I think the biggest branch point of your decision making in therapy comes down to how quickly do I need to help this child feel less pain? Because that's often the reason why they're coming to the emergency room is not because they haven't gone, but because it also hurts. And so if it's also hurting, if it's belly pain, uh, and it seems like this is a chronic problem and it just kind of came to a head that night, then it's fine to send the child home to do this at home. There's really good evidence that suggests a home cleanout is just as effective as in department uh, rectal therapy or enemas or suppositories, essentially. But there is a role, I think, sometimes for rectal therapy, like an enema, when the patient is having pretty severe rectal pain and you just want to get a faster relief. It will take a little bit of time for that home cleanout uh, with oral medications to kick in, and so if they're there because it really hurts their bottom, then it can really be helpful to kind of... Get a jump start by doing an enema.
0: And that can be a big deal for a lot of kids and you know I I've, I've certainly seen that it generates anxiety both on behalf of the, the kid and the parent. Is there any role for giving sedatives prior to an enema and especially in the emergency department?
1: I think generally no. I think generally what we can we can usually coach a kid through uh, an enema and oftentimes that's your branch point if if the motivation is there because the pain is there and the family is on board then coaching them through using our expert nurses to coach them through getting an enema and playing up the idea that they're going to feel a lot better when it's done is usually effective. And I think that the only things that, uh, the only thing that would really prompt me to consider using uh, Versat or some other uh, short-term sedative or anxiolytic would be if the procedure itself puts the patient at risk to themselves or to staff.
0: Right. And that might be a situation where it's probably not safe to manage in the emergency department in the first place.
1: Perhaps, yes. Yeah.
0: All right. So you alluded to, to medicines. So specifically, what are the best medicines to discharge a kid home on that you diagnose with constipation?
1: So the best way to get medication in for a home cleanout is through oral medications. And the Uh, Most effective treatment that's recommended by the North American Society of Pediatric Gastroenterologists and the European societies, everybody's kind of gotten on board with using polyethylene glycol 3350, better known as Miralax, Glycolax, Gentilax, depending on the generic or the brand that you're using.
0: So how does it work?
1: It works by drawing water into the bowel or keeping water in the lumen of the bowel. It's a flushing through by adding water content to the bowel and flushing the poop out, making the stool softer and making it easier to pass, and then generally irrigating the valve.
0: Is it a big deal to administer? Because I, you know, I meet a lot of parents that are worried that their kids are not going to take it because they know that it's medicine or you know, worried about altering the taste of their beverages.
1: I find that when you give parents a positive attitude, that they're willing to give it a try, and most patients are very successful doing the whole clean-out. I give them tips and tricks about how to mix it really well so that it doesn't feel gritty in the mouth. I tell them to put it in their second favorite drink so that it doesn't become their least favorite drink. Nice. Uh, I tell them to put it in something that has a little bit of color to it and coach them through this relatively short-term chugging exercise that will get the poop flowing.
0: Right, and so you say relatively short-term and you know there's a one-day home oral clean-out and a three-day home oral clean-out. Is there any rationale for when to to pick which one? Um, Obviously, one means a lot more trips to the bathroom in short order.
1: Yeah, I often give families a choice. And a lot of times the choice is dependent on what's going on in their life. Not necessarily how well one is going to work versus another. Are you
0: busy this weekend?
1: Exactly. (laughs) Ask them if there is a dance recital, if they are planning to do a two hour car trip. And I also describe the three-day clean-out as a gentle clean-out, the one-day clean-out as a fast clean-out. Yeah. And they can choose based on those kind of positive statements. For the patient who, oftentimes a younger patient, where the family is willing to devote a little bit of time and the patient's going to need some coaching, and it might be hard to imagine a child, four, five, six years old, drinking a large volume mm-hmm. within a couple of hours, they will often choose the gentle clean-out. Whereas a teenager who's got practice on Saturday morning but doesn't have anything until Sunday afternoon, they're going to choose the one-day clean-out to get it done with.
0: Got it. So we choose to send them home on a clean-out. We give the instructions. How quickly can parents expect results?
1: This is important. A lot of times the poop doesn't start flowing right away. They'll chug the, the liquid or they'll take the medications over a few doses of the first couple of days, or first day or so of the three day cleanout, and they'll get frustrated that the poop doesn't happen immediately. You gotta give it six, eight, maybe even 12 hours, especially for the really constipated kids, to really see some of those chunks start flowing.
0: Got it. So if you do a Miralax home cleanout, when should you be concerned that you're not getting the expected results, and then what would be the, the next line therapy?
1: I tell families, especially with the one-day clean-out where they've actually given themselves a a large amount of medicine, to if nothing happens in the first 24 hours, if literally no poop comes out, then that is a reason to either call their doctor uh, or reach out to the emergency department or even come back, especially if they're having increased bloating, pain, vomiting, things like that that suggest that it's not moving through. And there is a risk after a certain period of time with a large volume of uh, Miralax or other medications like it that you could have electrolyte abnormalities.
0: Got it. So let's say the, the clean out works and you wanna transition the kid to maintenance therapy. Um, certainly we are hopefully only meeting the family for this problem once in the emergency department, but what can we tell them about getting on to a daily regimen to help maintain symptoms? When should we tell them to go to a second line treatment if they're not getting results with Miralax? And how do we navigate that as we transition them to care with their primary care doctor?
1: I think it's important to kind of prep them for that transition and make sure that they make that transition to make sure that if it seems like it's a chronic problem, it's going to need a chronic solution and to give them the advice about what dose to go to immediately after the the clean out is done and to start it and continue it until their primary care doctor tells them otherwise. That that transition should happen and should be continued uh, as part of that handoff off to the primary care doctor. It is important. When I'm counseling families to have what I call a rescue plan to give a double dose of the Miralax or to even give a dose of a stimulant medication like Senna uh, or better known as Xlax, Those chocolate squares. Chocolate squares. It comes as tablets, too. All of this stuff is available over the counter. But families need a little bit of guidance about what to have on hand when things are not going well. And I think of that rescue plan as just one or two doses of those supplemental medications to get them back on track so that they can go back to just using a regular osmotic laxative like polyethylene glycol or Miralax.
0: All right, so let me go back to, to that initial diagnosis in the emergency department. So most of the time, and I would agree wholeheartedly that we should be able to make this diagnosis on history and physical examination alone. Is there any role for x-rays in the diagnosis of constipation, you know, like seeing how much poop is in there?
1: X-rays are an interesting topic when you're talking about constipation. The most important thing I'll tell you is the history will tell you whether this is chronic constipation. An x-ray will not. An x-ray only gives you one snapshot in time, and the results you get from an x-ray are subjective at best and suffer from poor inter-rater reliability, poor intra-rater reliability, which have been demonstrated in certain studies, and a reporting mechanism that often ends up with the quote-unquote moderate stool burden and which that doesn't tell you that there's excessive stool. It doesn't tell you that there's chronic constipation. All it tells you is that there's poop in the colon, which is exactly where it's supposed to be, if it, even if it's normal. It can give you some useful information if your physical exam is jeopardized by body habitus, by history of uh, any sort of trauma that makes a perianal inspection difficult to do, or if a digital rectal exam uh, is unable to be performed or shouldn't be performed, then if you need more information and you really can't get enough information from your history and abdominal exam, then sometimes there's a role for an abdominal x-ray. But by and large, x-rays are not usually helpful in the diagnosis of chronic constipation.
0: Got it. All right. So as we wrap up here, you know what are the most important things, You know the key take-home points that we should be telling our constipated patients and their parents when we discharge them home from the emergency department?
1: I think the most important thing is when you, as a provider, get a sense that this is a chronic problem, that you impart to the family that this it requires a long-term plan to manage. What we often observe is it's very well taken care of in the ER, we relieve their pain, we get the poop out, and then the parents don't continue the therapy or they don't follow up with their primary care doctor because when the problem became bad enough for them to seek care, that was enough where we know that chronic management is needed to get better or else they're going to continue to relapse into impaction.
0: How soon should kids follow up with their doctor after we discharge them home on a you know, say a clean-out regimen?
1: I think it's appropriate to have them see their primary care doctor within a week. We actually put together a standardized algorithm with amongst our large network of primary care pediatricians in the area around here in Cincinnati, and they chose, based on their own preferences, just try to see these kids within a week with either phone follow-up if they've done the clean-out themselves or an in-person follow-up, especially if the ER helped them out. They want to see these kids back so that they can make sure that then transition to chronic and daily maintenance management uh, happens well.
0: Well, Danny, thank you for sitting down and chatting with me about constipation today.
1: It's been my pleasure. It's my favorite topic. I talk about poop all day and I'll continue to do it for the rest of my career.
0: Uh, The life of a gastroenterologist. Well, that's all for this episode of PEM Currents, the pediatric emergency medicine podcast or for this episode, PoopCast. Remember, constipation is a clinical diagnosis. Your history should focus on the character of the stools, the frequency of the stools, whether or not the child strains or has any other markers of difficult passage of poop. Management is generally aimed at helping kids have softer stools that are easier to pass and centers around the use of Miralax, often with a home cleanout that can be one or three days long. Enemas are used in the emergency department for the acute management of pain associated with constipation. It's generally not appropriate to use midazolam or other sedatives to facilitate an enema. And remember, x-rays are largely not helpful for making the diagnosis of constipation. The read often says moderate stool burden, well, because the poop's in the colon and that's where it's supposed to be. Make sure that your documentation supports your diagnosis and that you're clearly laying out why you think the child has constipation what your plan will be for home management, and why you don't think it's other competing conditions. If you want to learn more, you can check out PEMblog.com, and I'd love the feedback. You can leave comments on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio content, or hit me up on Twitter at PEMtweets. For PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast, this has been Brad Soboleski. See you next time.